0: Hello and welcome to The Dietitian Cafe, brought to you by Nualtra, the innovative medical nutrition company dedicated to improving patients' lives through specialised and affordable supplements. My name is Corinne Toyne and I'm a registered dietitian and marketing specialist at HRS Communications. We invite you to drop into The Dietitian Cafe as we discuss the latest nutrition trends, topics and research. However, before I start, can I ask you a huge favour? If you enjoy the Dietitian Cafe podcast, we'd be super grateful if you could press that follow button. More subscribers means more exciting guests and more interesting conversations for you, our listeners. Thank you. So grab a cuppa and join me for today's interview episode, where I'm delighted to be chatting to registered dietitian and creator of the South Asian Eat Well Guide, Rihar J, about providing culturally appropriate dietetic advice in South Asian communities. This episode coincides with South Asian Heritage Month which runs from the 18th of July to 17th of August every year in the UK and it's an opportunity to celebrate, commemorate and educate about South Asian culture and histories. So without further ado I'll hand you over to introduce yourself Ariha.
1: Hello Corinne. thank you very much for having me. So I'm a registered dietitian and I uh, Uh, I did my degree in anthropology and later on in life, I, I thought that I need to change my career and I want to become a dietitian. So I was a mature student and I qualified as a dietitian in 2016. So as I qualified since then, I've been working with an NHS led organization as a diabetes specialist, but more so my work is a freelance where I do online consultations with South Asian uh, communities across the globe, South Asian people across the globe. Um, My clients can be anywhere uh, from Spain to New Zealand, to even China as well. Um, I also um, do uh, consultancies with different organizations, mostly, and my work is mostly based around South Asian diets and um, nutrition. I would also like to call myself a social media dietitian and that's where my passion comes in. Um, I'm really passionate about spreading awareness around healthy eating and lifestyle among the South Asian communities so I very often would make uh, short videos I would make posts uh, which and and I'm active on all social media platforms I think so all I would like to say all so it's like YouTube TikTok um, Facebook Instagram Twitter Um, so I'm everywhere so this was a brief introduction of mine
0: wow what a journey and i believe you have more than sort of over 700,000 followers across all your social media platforms which is absolutely amazing and i think it really shows how much interest there is in this area also how much evidence based information is needed so huge kudos, kudos to you for growing such a large and engaged community so yeah it's just going to be a fab conversation so without further ado let's get started with with a few quick fire questions to get to know you a little bit better the first question is what is your dream dessert?
1: I'm not a dessert person but if I really have to think of a dream dessert I will go for Savia, which is a south asian dessert made of vermicelli and milk and sugar so that's that's what which I like yeah
0: That sounds delicious <laughs> definitely
1: going to look that up
0: after this podcast <laughs> Second question is if you had a plane ticket to anywhere in the world where would you go and why?
1: So I would love to go uh, to Pakistan. And the reason being that all my family is there. I miss them. So if I get a plane ticket, I'll rush to Pakistan.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's lovely. Family is everything, isn't it? And lastly, who inspires you in the world of nutrition and dietetics?
1: So Corinne, this is a very tricky question because um, me being from the freelance background, um, my communication with all the dietitians and nutritionists is through online. Uh, and I, I admire all of them. You know, I cannot say that this is this person because every nutritionist, every dietitian has something new to offer and believe it or not, every day I learn something new from, from different, from different healthcare professionals. So I would say all of them, everyone, all of them inspire me. And and every day when I learn something, I want to go back and learn more.
0: What a lovely answer and I'm sure many people are inspired by you too so that's great. Okay so now let's crack on with the episode questions. So the first one that we wanted to get your thoughts on is many of our listeners are dietitians, nutrition professionals and students and they are aware of the statistics surrounding other ethnic groups. So many of us know that South Asians are at higher risk of type 2 diabetes and heart disease. For example I believe they're are nearly 400,000 people living with diabetes from South Asian backgrounds living in the UK. So why do you think this is?
1: Yes, Corinne, you're absolutely right. If you look at the statistics, um, South Asians are six times more likely to have diabetes compared to the other populations. And same is the case with, you know, coronary heart disease. Uh, You'll see higher numbers of coronary heart disease among South Asians as compared to other populations. So this is multifactorial, Corinne. There there are many factors. There's the biological side of it and there's the the lifestyle side of it as well. When we look at the biological side to it, there is a genetic predisposition among South Asians to for, for diabetes. Um, but there is some research which suggests that South Asians are more insulin resistant. So if they're more insulin resistant, obviously they'll be more susceptible uh, to get diabetes. Then the other thing is, uh, if within a specific BMI, so the the, uh, the they will if you compare south asians with other populations the fat the the total amount of fat will be more among south asians and specifically in the, in the abdominal area so among the south asians if two two groups of people have same bmi but they will have more fat more abdominal adiposity both the visceral fat and both the subcutaneous fat is more then again, all these cu- accumulating together, um, putting them at high risk of diabetes. So that's the biological side of it. But then on top of that, the lifestyle factors, which is true for all, uh, all populations, not just South Asians. So, you know, uh, how they're eating, uh, increased intake of processed food, increased stress, low physical activity but this is this this will be in all population groups but what what's happening is because we know that there is this biological side to it as well we've got that biological risk as well all these factors are amplified so these are amplified and therefore these two together join up accumulate together putting south Asians at higher risk
0: okay thank you for explaining that so clearly and in your role you provide specialist advice to many south Asians what would you say are the most common health concerns that you see in your patients? Uh,
1: so, Corinne, because I am a diabetes specialist as well, most of my clients which come up to me, which they book appointments with me, I would say they're overweight. Some have got pre-diabetes, some have got diabetes. Some come, uh, Some book appointments for their high cholesterol levels, hypertension, so this is very popular. But I would like to point out one more thing over here are two things, actually. So most of my clients are women. So I think the cultural aspect comes up here that women feel more comfortable with women, men feel more comfortable with men. I think this is the cultural side of it. So when I say most, I think 80 to 90 percent of my uh, clients are women. And then when they're women, so the, the weight side of it, I've already talked about. But many of them, I'll say half of them uh, book appointments with me with the, with the problem of PCOS polycystic ovary syndrome and then again we know that polycystic ovary syndrome is an endocrinological condition and that is also related to insulin resistance so and if you look at the data you will you will see that polycystic ovary syndrome numbers are also high among the south asian communities compared to the other populations so there is all these all these things link up together
0: that's so interesting i've seen a lot more information about pcos i think there's a lot more awareness um being raised about that condition so yeah, interesting to hear your perspective on that as well, and especially because you've had that real life experience of seeing patients um with PCOS and these other conditions. Thank you. So, um, obviously, you are the creator of the brilliant resource, the South Asian Eat Well Guide, which is a fantastic innovative piece of work, and it builds on the current Eat Well Guide with South Asian foods. So something that was completely essential and needed. Can you explain to us a little bit more about the guide and how you went about creating it so i I'd love to know you know did you approach them or did they approach you? How did it come about?
1: So the thing is at present when I developed this e twelve guide this uh, this is not an official e twelve guide, so I've developed it. Uh, Many trusts are using it. Many dietitians are using it. But if you say that it's official, it's not official. It's unofficial, but widely being used. Because uh, when I published it on Twitter without realizing that it will become so, you know, all of a sudden there was this uh, high interest, everyone getting in touch with me. Everyone wants a copy. Uh, So this I want to clear out that this is not, not official, number one. Number two, how I got to make it? Because... as as you know that because I do online consultations and this is the, the Eat Well Guide is the starter resource, isn't it? So when you are explaining to someone about healthy eating, this is something you will come up with. So whenever I used to come up with this, um, I used to explain further that, okay, so you're, you're having it, look at the starchy carbs, but why not have this, this, this as well? When I'm coming to the fruit and vegetables, I'm giving them their example. So I thought, to be honest, I did it for myself. I mean, I just made something and I put the foods in and this was the first step. So I put foods in for myself. Then I thought "Hmm, it's looking pretty good. So then I start because I've got this Facebook group uh, with with so many South Asians. So I started looking at the pictures and the posts they were sharing and thinking of ideas what foods can go in this eat well guide then again, I think I need to refine a bit more, refine it a bit more. So then I did a short, a small survey online, asking people what they think about the South Asian Eat Well Guide, what they want to add, what they don't want to add. So from all these responses from all around, you know, from my experience, from the survey, I came up with this uh, South Asian Eat Well Guide, which became a big hit. Amazing,
0: mm-hmm. it sure is. Mm-hmm. And what would you say are the main differences between a South Asian diet and the current Eat Well Guide?
1: So Corinne, another, another thing I want to make clear over here is that I did not make any changes to the original Eat Well Guide. So whatever foods were there, they're still there in the South Asian Eat Well Guide. Because we we need to keep one thing in mind, and that is the acculturation side of it, of the South Asians, um, specifically uh, the, the younger generation. So they will exhibit, uh, they, they, they will have links with the South Asian culture as well, but with the uh, with the Western culture as well, so they'll have both foods. So what I thought was, so nothing has been removed. In fact, things have been included, so that they can, you know, relate to it. They can think that okay, our foods are also in it. So for, I'll give few examples. Like for instance, in carbohydrates, the section of carbohydrates, I put roti, chapati, but I also put idli, dosa, thepla. These are the type of starchy carbs which are consumed like in all meals by South Asians. So just adding them up and, you know, you you create, you know, that link. Then if you look at the fruit and vegetable sections, there are certain fruits among the South Asian communities which are extremely staple. So like South Asians would eat a lot of lots of mangoes, dates, melons, which were not there. So I included them. There are many others as well. I'm just giving you a roundup, just giving you an idea. And the 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 highlight of the vegetable sections was Karele, which is the bitter gourd, very popularly eaten, was not in the Eat Well Guide. I added it to it. So it was it was a big success among the South Asians when they used to see it, they used to feel really happy about it. So small changes I've made, uh, which has made a big difference, to be honest.
0: Amazing. Thank you. And so you told us why the creation of this resource was a priority for you. But before you created the South Asian Eat Well Guide, were there any resources specific to a South Asian diet available for you to use with your patients?
1: Um, The thing is, there 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 is information out there, but uh, there are different charities, different organizations have made resources. The only problem is that they're disjointed. So, you know, everyone is... Uh, inventing the cycle again and again they're all over the place with little bit of differences which can also create uh, confusion as well so the resources were there but then again as i said that the the eat well guide is the starter so uh, all the other resources will go on top of the starter so if the base is not right so we need to get the base right first and then on top build up all the other resources
0: agreed that's a very nice way of putting it there Almost oh, a bit like a cake, which is very dietitian-esque. <laughs> um, okay, so how have your consultations and education sessions now changed with the aid of the South Asian Eat Well Guide,
1: Sorry, uh, I have. Uh, this is like the instant feedback which I got was that once the one one of this lady said that no one ever told us this us this to before. We never knew that this is all we can ha- we can ha- can we have mango can we have you know in the dairy section i've put lassi in can we really have lassi so you know there was there was this there was this uh, feeling all of a sudden i felt that they started feeling more connected with me so as soon as i put it up you know i could see their sparkling eyes oh i can spot that food i can spot my food over there so i could see Uh, the positive vibes I could feel the positive vibes and then I could see that they were more receptive to it as well because they could connect with it they could you know relate to it so uh, definitely and uh, like in one of the sessions the lady said that it has made our life so much easier because first we thought that we can't have all these foods Uh, this was the this, this was the misconception that they can't have all these foods but now we know that it is part of the guide so we can have these foods
0: yeah, and that relatability factor is so key. Yeah. I think that's obviously part of the reason as well that you've grown such a, a huge following because you're, you're clearly so down to earth, but also you're very welcoming and make people feel as though, you know, no question yeah. is is kind of off the table. It's, it's, yeah. And for dietitians or other healthcare professionals listening who want to use your Eat Well Guide in their practice, where can they access it?
1: So if they want to access it, I had bought tons and tons of emails so get in touch with me you know through my social media through my website I will always send them send a copy of the eat well, the South Asian eat well guide to you but also uh my nutri web I did a blog with them I did a whole uh webinar with them on the South Asian eat well guide and with within the their blog there is a link and you can download it from there as well but otherwise you're all welcome to to get in touch with me and I'll send it, send that to you.
0: Great. I know you said that the guide is currently unofficial, but is it the aim to have it sitting alongside the traditional Eat Well Guide on the NHS slash Public Health England websites?
1: Corinne, absolutely. This is this is my vision. This is my aim. The thing is, uh, with the UK, it is full of diversity. You know, they, there are so many different ethnic groups, and this is something we need to acknowledge, that there are so many cultures within UK. And messaging should be culturally appropriate. Only then we would be able to see the behavioral changes. Only then we will be able to motivate all these ethnic minority groups. So surely, I would love to have you know an Eat Well Guide Hub. You know where we've got this Eat Well Guide. But we've also got the South Asian Eat Well Guide, but perhaps an African Caribbean Eat Well Guide, um, any other ethnic minority groups Eat Well Guide, um, some resources for portion sizes, some resources about preparation, and all these other tools which can you know uh, which which work around the Eat Well Guide. Right,
0: and beyond the South Asian Eat Well Guide, or should I say, alongside it. What are your go-to patient-facing resources that you'd suggest healthcare professionals should look at with the provision of culturally appropriate dietary advice in South Asian communities?
1: Yes, there are quite a few. Um, and I, I also tend to use them quite often. So one, I'm sure most of you must be aware of the CARBS and CALS World Food Book as well. That's amazing. With, with you know, showing pictures with calories, with fiber intake. So they're amazing. Apart from that, the British Heart Foundation has got a resource which has got uh, many healthy South Asian recipes. And I think this is really helpful. And I've been using that resource as well. Diabetes UK has got many resources. um, uh, Most of them are based around healthy eating for the South Asian communities. Heart UK has got resources uh, specifically on South Asian diets and cholesterol. Then there is another handbook, which very few health professionals would know about. And that has been developed by the NHS. And it was developed basically uh, for on a diabetes prevention program. And um, it it is just amazing. It shows you pictures, it shows you how you can prepare these foods. Um, You just have to Although it was made for the diabetes prevention program, the health professionals can go to their website, you know, and they can, you know, for get that handbook as well. I think that is amazing and very few people know about it. And then there is this website called the No Diabetes and they have also got fabulous resources for the South Asian communities. And this is what my this is what I'm saying that there is information there. It's a bit disjointed. You have to look for it everywhere, but it's there and it's very good, I think.
0: Yeah, you've just listed some great resources, though. So I'm sure people that are listening will be writing those down. So it's just nice to be signposted to the ones that you think are credible and, and helpful. Okay, and do you think currently enough is being done to educate future dietitians about South Asian diets?
1: Maureen, I think t- time has changed, things are changing. And the, the quick the answer will be Yes. The, the reason why I'm saying is that because when I was a student, we had no clue about you know ethnic diets and that's not very long ago, but all of a sudden I can see this change and th- they, we more needs to be done shortly, but I think we're moving towards the right direction. Um, uh, I p- personally, it's my third year now that uh, I give a lecture on ethnic diets to Plymouth University second year students. Uh, and I and to what I know is that other universities are also doing it. You can see so many webinars and so many, so so much happening. More needs to be done, but I think we're in the right direction, moving in the right direction.
0: That's really positive then, if that's the case. Yes, yes. And, you know, it just, the more talks that you do, just build momentum for other uh, universities to potentially follow. And hopefully maybe some more universities are listening to this and will yes. be inspired to get in contact with you. <laughs> how can healthcare providers address the stigma and discrimination that south asian uh, patients sadly may
1: face when seeking care so when we're thinking about stigma discrimination i think the the healthcare professionals we need to empower them uh the the reason why there is stigma what are the drivers the drivers, the, the what I think of is three drivers come in my mind: the awareness side of it, the fear side of it, and the attitude side of it. Yeah. So if someone is aware, if someone is aware of certain a uh, person's culture, uh, their you know likes, dislikes, and whatever you know their traditions, uh, automatically we will surpass the stigma because we we are aware. So there is lack of awareness. We need to work on that. The second, when I said fear, fear of the unknown. Why is there stigma? You don't know how to respond to that person. What will I say? What, what does he want? What, what are the expectations? What, what, what does my client want? What does this specific group want? And because of that fear, again, the discrimination, you know, it sounds, it's, it may sound that you're discriminating. It may look that you are, you know, stigmatizing. And the third, the third is attitude. And I think that that goes to, I'll say for all health professionals, start re- uh, self-reflection, uh, which you will do for any other patient or client. So once you finish your consultation or your group talk or whatever you know, however your communication with your patients is, you go back. Do your reflection. How can you make it better? What was what were the negatives? What were the positives? And that can help you. But overall, I think that uh, all these health professionals need training. Uh, but uh, not just training but practical training so you know they can so where they can you know build themselves where they have where where they can communicate better but they also know their facts
0: yeah okay and so self-reflection and training would you say they're the main things that someone who would be more interested in learning about South Asian diets should be looking to do first? Or can you tell us any other tips that you have for someone wanting to learn a bit more about South Asian
1: diets? So yeah, the the easiest way then again is listening to podcasts, you know, uh, reading articles, then again, they're all scattered. They're all scattered. So one uh, uh, So like we're doing this podcast, surely you do other topics as well. Similarly, other, you know, health hubs, nutrition hubs are doing these podcasts, but they're doing other topics as well. Similarly, if you look at, you know, articles and um, blogs, you have to search for them, but rest assured they're there. And if you start reading them, then listening to them, that will also help. Absolutely. Brilliant. Thank you. So we've touched on this um,
0: at the beginning of the um, episode, but you do have a large social media presence. So on Instagram, you're at dietitian underscore for J and your Facebook group. Now, who is your target audience for these accounts? Are these resources um, ones that you'd encourage healthcare professionals to tap into?
1: So whatever resources you see on my Instagram and my Facebook, they are specifically for the public. I have dumbed them down. I've made them really easy for the, for the you know, people to, for the general public to understand. Um, making, you know, and this is what the dietitian's job is to translate, you know, science into easy, easy information, easy knowledge. So surely the information which I'm giving out is for the general public but then again which we which just now we talked about the stigma side of it so if health professionals want to learn more about you know what what side what sort of foods do south Asians have or what sort of thinking they have what is their culture if you if they visit my facebook group they'll see hundreds of posts from these uh, from from these uh, group members where they will be sharing their food pictures. So perhaps it can give you an idea that this is the types of foods South Asians eat or these are you know, this is the part of their culture, this is what they believe in because there's so many other sides to it. It's not just the food, but the beliefs and the culture and all that as well. So uh, yeah, and same is for Instagram. So just out of interest, I think if they start following it, yes, they can learn a bit about South Asian culture. Certainly.
0: Yeah, well, I'm definitely following you on our Twitter and Instagram. And I love your posts. So I definitely recommend our listeners to follow you too. And would you say that uh, seeing people be engaged and build that community has been one of the most rewarding aspects of building your social platform? Or what, what would be your, what's your favourite thing about, you know, having built those social media platforms?
1: I love it Corinne and my my husband usually asks me that what drives you because you are so you're not getting anything you know <laughs> I'm just getting satisfaction out of it and I love it um, the, the one is the engagement with the with the because I try to you know respond to the comments which they gave on my on my posts and all but the other is when you start realizing that your posts and videos are, are making an impact so you're getting these inboxes where they say that you know I've been following your videos and I've changed my life and I've, I've you know I've dro- I've dropped one size or, you know, my mentality towards food has changed, how I think about food has changed, it has changed my life. I've got all these, sometimes it's really dramatic and I end up crying as well where the people, you know, say that they've ch- you've, I've changed their life and all. So what what can be more rewarding than this? What? And this keeps me going.
0: Yeah, so fulfilling. Yeah. And, and on that note, I mean, clearly you're a fantastic social media dietitian. Do you have any tips for someone wanting to build their social following as a dietitian on social media
1: I think it's it's, uh, first please don't think about numbers just think about quality work so even if you're you know uh, with your posts you're reaching out to 10 people 20 people but you're getting the message across and it's affect it it's affecting them in a positive way I think you've done it but if you want to build your build up your you know your presence in social media i think being patient is one thing uh you have to be really patient there'll be days when you put up something and you'll get you know no one will be engaging with them and there'll be other days when you post something and you know you, you'll get a lot of engagement and so, sometimes i also I'm surprised that oh this post has got so much engagement. How did this happen? So being patient, um, and following a theme, whatever theme you've got, following that theme, um, and apart from that, what I what be, being consistent, I mean, so that you post one day and then you you you're not posting for the you know a month, that can be a problem. So being consistent with your posts and videos as well, that can make a difference.
0: Great. So finding your niche, being patient, consistent. And what was the other one you said? <laughs> I forgot it. already. They're all fantastic tips though. And yeah, I mean, um, I know many dietitians and nutrition professionals and students are now on social media. So um, I, I really do believe people like you that are um, producing evidence-based content are exactly the type of people we should be looking up to and following because as I like to say there's so much nutrient nonsense yeah. on social media we need voices um, of reason to be sharing correct and factual information about the diet so yeah just keep going you're absolutely brilliant on social media yeah.
1: and
0: um, so with all of your experience what is the one thing that you know now that you wish you knew when you first started working as a dietitian? <laughs>
1: Something which you just mentioned, and I think I also mentioned was because when I qualified, I wanted to help everyone. I wanted to change. And I there was no concept of, you know, building a niche. So like, I want to, you know, if someone has got this, this you know, nutrition problem, I'll help them. Someone from this community, I'll help them. I'll do everything. And I didn't realize that this was not the way to go. Uh, it took me some time, you know, to, to understand this. Even when I was Making posts uh, based around South Asian diets, even when I was doing videos, I would never call myself a South Asian dietitian, uh, just with the fear that I will lose out on work. I will not get, you know, the right clients. Or, uh, and later on, I just realized that it's the other way around. So if, you know, I, I have a niche, I will have more, I, get, I will get more work, but um, I will I will be more uh, uh, confident in what I'm saying and people will also trust me more So this is something which I learned and this is some, a message for everyone that find your niche what do you think what, what do you enjoy what do you like and just just put your heart into it and then you'll see then you'll see the results.
0: I think I remember the other one you said uh find your why and find you know your your passion just like you said that exactly. yes. I think if you can find a niche, You know, I I don't think it's about just picking something and going for it. It's actually about choosing something you're genuinely interested in and that you have a passion for and then carving that out in in the world. And just that's the reason why you're going to get up every morning, even though sometimes it feels like no one's listening. You know, you're still going to get up because you love it and you're passionate about it. So. That's a brilliant bit of advice. Thank you.
1: Yes, Corinne. I just wanted to add when you said the passion side of it, I am extremely passionate about, you know, spreading the message of healthy eating and lifestyle among the South Asian communities. And when you're so passionate about something, it reflects on you. It reflects on your work. It reflects on your posts, videos, whatever you're doing. So again, yeah, I just wanted to reiterate it once again. 100%.
0: 100%. I think we can all see how passionate you are. So yeah, it's really wonderful to see. So yeah, thank you for for sharing those tips. Now, sadly, we're on to our last question. Uh, but it's but it's a great one. So what are your hopes for the future of supporting the UK South Asian population? So would that look like new policies, frameworks, educational training? What do you think the future needs to include?
1: So, Corey, one thing is clear. We know that South Asian communities uh, are at high risk of diabetes and heart disease and all other health conditions. We talked about PCOS as well. So we know that. Uh, And something needs to be done about this. Yes, uh, I think the first step uh, should be that I think there is this uh, gap of research knowledge. Uh, We we, we don't even know. like There is not enough research to tell us that which interventions will be effective. To prevent health conditions or to promote healthy eating. So this gap of knowledge. So let's see. What do we know? What are the drivers of? uh, Do we know the eating habits of South Asians? Do we know the drivers of um, eating behaviors, eating patterns? Do we know uh, uh, what sort of food shopping that do South Asians uh, have? What makes what? Uh, has an effect on that what does marketing bring down bring and how does it change their opinion towards food so there's so many gaps of information so the first step would be research research on all these topics all these issues and what what is required so but once we know that okay this this is this is what it is then we can build interventions for the South Asian communities. Interventions can come up and then with those interventions will be definitely in line with their, you know, culture, belief, religion, socioeconomic status, all of them. So for me, the first step is research and then the second step is interventions.
0: Brilliant. And I follow you on Twitter, as I said before, and I know that you repost um, kind of studies recruiting for South Asian participants. So I think, yeah, def- definitely if anyone listening, they're interested in a, getting more involved in research that you're, um, you know, around South South Asian diets, or B if they're actually someone wanting to get involved as a participant, definitely following you on social media would be a good place to start to look for those opportunities. Absolutely. Um, yes. Great. Thank you. So a huge thank you to Fariha for coming onto the podcast today. It was great to explore this area with her. A huge thank you also to No for making this podcast possible. If you enjoyed listening to today's episode, I'd love it if you shared this episode with a friend or colleague who you think would find it interesting. And our next episode of the Dietitian Cafe will be out very soon. But in the meantime you can check out our previous episodes or head over to our RD2B Dietitian Cafe podcast where once a month our student dietitian host discusses the world of dietetics with a range of guests all aimed at aspiring dietitians. Thank you for listening.